0: Welcome to episode 129 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined in Zhuhai by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. How's Zhuhai?
1: Hi from Zhuhai. Uh Zhuhai's great. I've only been here less than twenty four hours, but so far so good. Air is air is pretty nice. Views are lovely. I can see Macau from my room. Not a palin joke. And uh yeah, so so far so good. We're waiting for play to start um on Tuesday. Uh but I'm excited for the matches. It's definitely you know, I'm sputtering. It's week six on the road. It's been a long time. I feel like a lot of sports things have happened back home that I have not seen. But, uh, but yeah, so far, so good.
0: It says a lot about where you've been that I ask how city is, and the first thing you mention is the air, I must say.
1: <laughs> I don't usually
0: get that from people, but but it's good. The air is good. It's an indoor tournament, though, right?
1: Um, Indo- I think it's outdoor. I mean, I think the, the, the roof is at least open. I think it has a retractable, but like I said, I just got here. I haven't okay. completely got my head around the Zhuhai happenings quite yet.
0: That's fine. Let's not talk about the Zhuhai happenings. Right now, let's talk about the Singapore happenings. That's where you were. That was the big show. That was the WTA finale before this cute little denouement that's coming up in uh, Zhuhai and Fed Cup, I guess. The winner of the WTA championships was Aga Radvanska. Courtney, how did this happen?
1: Yes, Agnieszka Radvanska, who'd have thunk it, came into the tournament, no top five wins all year, and she goes and... Pounds three straight top five wins, uh, culminating with wins over, uh, who was it, Halep, wins over Muguruza, and then, of course, in the final three sets, beats Petra Kvitova to win her biggest title. Um, and uh, how about all that emotion from Aga? That, to me, is what came out of nowhere. Not that Aga won, but that yeah. she was, like, all crying and stuff.
0: We've seen it a little from her. I mean, she got more emotional when she won, when she made, sorry, when she made the Wimbledon final. I remember she won the semifinal, and she, like... Jumped like almost a foot off the ground, and I was like, Wow, that's a reaction from Agatha Radvonska! But yeah, no, she clearly was this meant a lot to her, and I think it was a cool story of her tournament because she was completely dead to rights in this tournament. Like, she was so out of it, losing the first two matches, uh, in this in the next match, which she won and still didn't even control her own destiny, even after she won, she came back from 5 1 down against Halep in that tiebreak to win that set. And I think she did need that set with the tiebreaks. I don't think if she'd won in three, I don't think she would have gotten through. I think I remember Correct, she that.
1: needed straight sets.
0: Right, so she needed straight sets and then help. And so all these things had to break her way. It was one of the lower percentage wins, and I think it was a really cool kind of demonstration of the round-robin tournament showing us a different side of tennis. I mean, we never get to really see tennis players be resilient within a, within a tournament. I've heard yeah. a bunch of backlash to to the uh, round-robin format in the wake of her win. And I think it's just kind of silly. I mean, single elimination is obviously what we're used to, but it's not the only valid form of sport. So, And yeah. there's plenty of other sports that don't use it. So I think, obviously, it was a bit extreme having two women who went one and two make the final against each other. That was bizarre. But it was also, I think, perfectly encapsulating the chaos and the who-knows of this WTA season minus Serena. Um, it would have been great, obviously for a Muguruza Sherpova final to happen with both of them being four and Uh but how it worked out was, was great. And, and Radvanska, I think should take a lot out of this because she so often, I think can seem to count herself out a little bit when push comes to shove. And she just had to steal herself so many times and get some lucky breaks from the universe. And I feel like, I don't know why I think this, but I always feel like I think she thinks she's unlucky. And here, this was an undoubtedly lucky week in a lot of ways. And maybe it'll change her whole worldview. And it'll be a whole new Aga, full of everything coming up her
1: way. Aga, Aga, full of grace. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. no, I think that I think you're totally right, though. I think that um, we forget sometimes, especially I think this year, with respect to you know, with Serena winning three majors. Um, how much luck is involved in winning a major? Um, yeah. some players, based off of their basic skill level and how good they are and how the matchups go and the, the style of gameplay that they have, you can kind of mitigate the bad luck, right? You, you have a little bit more of your destiny in your own hands when you can crush winners, when you can do um, certain things with the tennis ball, we can serve 122 mile per hour aces down break points and things like that. So with Aga, With players like, uh, with her, you know, you throw in Simona. You can throw in a Caroline. Um, In terms Mm -hmm. of players who do have, do run a lot of risk at being blown off the court by more powerful players. That they do need a little bit, need a little bit of luck. But, you know, when that luck comes, a lot of things can happen that are good, that they're going to break their way. And so I think that's, I totally agree with you with that, with respect to Aga. The other thing that I think is actually important for Advanska to go forward is that she played this tournament tired and she admitted it from the first match and after her second round match she actually took a day off um she didn't uh practice she just kind of did recovery light gym workout and that was it which is pretty mm-hmm. rare for her she came out the next day against Halep beat her soundly in two sets uh then the next day or i guess two days later Muguruza, and then turned, well, a long three setter and then came back and hit and beat Kvitova in a long three setter she had her legs strapped, you know, the entire time. She was just kind of hobbling. She said, you know, I'm kind of falling apart. She said that, like, I think even before playing Muguruza. <laughs> so, again, I think mentally it's important for Aga to know that she can pull this sort this sort of uh, runoff without being 100%. Yeah, the, and
0: I think the physical – it's important for have for her to have that physical breakthrough for the mental side. Because you've talked about it so much, Courtney, when we're assessing – uh, her chances of winning a Grand Slam, just can she string together seven wins in a row with how she plays matches? You know, she doesn't play short points. She doesn't play a lot of really short matches. Even when she has dominant score lines, they often involve a lot more uh, exertion and taxing play than a Serena one in one match. When Revanza dominates, it isn't easy. Um, and so this, hopefully her holding up against the best of the best will teach her that going forward. And th- the parallels that I kept thinking of were to Maresmo um, in 2005 when she won the year-end championships and it springboarded her into this big 2006. Yep. Obviously, again, with some luck, especially in Australia, for Moresmo with how that tournament worked out for her. Um, that's optimistic, obviously, that's a best-case scenario for AGA, but I do hope that it did transform her. And even if she doesn't win a slam, this is still a huge career win for her. I mean, if this is as good as it gets for Aga in her career, this is another level. Beating, winning the WTA championships is an elite, elite title. And if it's all she gets, she should be very proud of it. There's no, Obi didn't win a slam. Like this is still her improving her her resume and her legacy uh, for good.
1: I totally agree with all that. And I just want to add one more thing about the whole round robin situation is that I think that a one and two record can be deceiving. And I think that we saw that particularly this week or last week. Um, it's one thing I would understand the complaints about a one and two player making the semifinals and then making the finals. If like that player played like crap matches all week. Um, and mm-hmm. so the quality level was kind of terrible with respect to the one and two, but Redvanska in particular, maybe, I mean, definitely more so than Kavitova, but Redvanska played two great matches and lost you know she took Sharapova to three sets another grueling one uh with Maria playing well and then um a tight two straight two set loss to Panetta which was her wor- her worst match of the week but not a bad match she just had a couple break points and she didn't take a take a take advantage and so i think that that you know just on numbers yes it looks bad but if you actually watched aga play all week you would not at all be surprised with what she did against Halep, against Muguruza and against Kvitova. She had been playing really, really good tennis. So it was nice to see, you know, see that rewarded. And I also think that it was quite funny because Kvitova um, was joking about how she wished like all the matches that she played were finals because I guess now she drops to 17 and six in finals, but she was 17 and five career WTA tour in finals, which is incredible and she said, you know, the early rounds are not great for me. It, I, I get better as I get comfortable with the courts, when I get comfortable with the balls, and I play better as, as weeks wear on. I just have to survive those early matches, which she generally doesn't do, especially this year. So I thought that that, that was kind of funny, of just how the round-robin format can almost be not I mean, I guess it's not fair necessarily in that way, but like, yeah, give those sorts of players a bit of a a second uh, second life, which is kind of funny. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. Exactly. Like I said at the beginning, there's no reason why a, a tournament needs to be you lose and you're done. Really. I mean, especially at a tournament like this, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a better format for this event. I, I wouldn't want to see. Is possible
1: way? Is it possible to do like a challenger format? Or no.
0: Like a, meaning what? Like, like a, a ch- like a
1: losers bracket, like a losers. Yeah, bracket. like a, yeah, like yeah.
0: You, you could you could do double elimination. You could, it would just be more confusing, honestly. And
1: it would be more confusing. And I yeah. and, and the other thing that I will say about the round robin format and the reason why really both the ATP and the WTA use it is it's great for fans.
0: So good for fans.
1: This is this is like a weird thing that I kind of feel like some. People are kind of completely ignoring in terms of like wanting, oh, it's just terrible that round robin exists. It's like it's not terrible for the people of London and it's not terrible for the people of Singapore who get an opportunity to see the best players in the world multiple times. Um, That's pretty great. And then also from the player perspective, I don't know if anybody out there wants to have the conversation with Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams. Hey, need you to fly halfway around the world to Singapore. And oh, by the way, you might only play one match. Yeah. I don't think that's going to go down too well either.
0: <laughs> no, I totally agree. And completely, for fans, one of the toughest things about tennis is that you can't really guarantee who's playing when. Or that, you know, you bring somebody into a tournament, let's say. For example, the one that comes to mind was this year, was Andy Murray in Washington. Came and played. And it was a big deal. He was the poster boy for the tournament. And loses his first match out of nowhere to Gavishvili. And then it's over. And all the people who bought tickets wanted to see Andy Murray later in the week. Didn't get to. Having guaranteed appearances in a meaningful tournament is, is a good thing. And I'm not saying they should expand round robin. I generally like no. the single elimination <laughs> more. And it was, a, yeah. it was a mess when ATP tried to expand it. And I'm curious how the Zhuhai format seems completely uh, odd, odd to me. So I'm curious. If that, that might be a mess with a three-person round robin. It's always messier than four, I think. So so we'll see. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I do think, I, and I don't also, because this did come up in round robin discussion, I don't have that much sympathy for Kerber freaking out in the last match oh, about God. the round robin. Yeah. No, because like all she had to do was win one set. Her, her her scenario was so straightforward. It wasn't like she had to worry about whether or not to get eight and a half games and you know some like really weird thing that would play with your mind or something. She had to win one set, which is part of your job every match. You have to do it twice, actually. She couldn't do it and she freaked out and lost. And I was
1: just like... what? What is that?
0: I didn't get that at all. uh,
1: Yeah, I didn't have much sympathy for that either. And mainly because, look, because I asked Angelique, because she she brought it up in response to some other questioning that, that, you know, as she was warming up for her match and, you know, the first match was going, which obviously affected her qualification scenarios, like, you know, everybody was talking around her. So she became very conscious of the fact that she only needed one set in order to get through. That then impacted (laughs) Her ability to play freely, and she played her worst match of the week, um, losing in straight sets to Safarova. And so, I think that um, you know, my initial reaction was just like, "Don't you have headphones? Like, yeah. maybe invest in some noise canceling headphones." Like, that's your coach's fault for not uh, keeping things, you know, helping keep you in a tunnel. That's not the format's fault.
0: <laughs> and not that I just don't. Even on top of that, I just don't get why this is bad intel to have. If anything. I thought she knew she exactly knew, she what she needed. Know. Right. Exactly. But I don't understand why that's bad, because I would think if after you lose the first set, Torben comes out there and it's like, you only need one set. All right. Just try for this one second set. Try as hard as you can and then stop. I would think it would free you up to only need one set. I'm, I'm obviously not her. And each player has their own way of thinking. But if I was went out for a match and was told I only needed one set, not two, like normal, I would be kind of thrilled about that. Yeah. Not, yeah, not like she, she seemed to win in straights It's something else. Yeah, but this just seemed like the easiest case scenario for her. So all that, all of those weird machinations of it, of, of Sharapova beating Panetta in straights, of Kerber having her meltdown and losing in straights to Lucy, who hadn't looked like a contender at all. Um, all of that led to this crazy final, and it, it was uh, pretty, but definitely a memorable week in Singapore. I think. I think it was for as, as, as much as it wasn't like a a real message sent by Sharapova or Muguruza as it was shaping up. But I guess, and I guess, Courtney, if you want to talk about those two next, just what this this week and those losses mean for them. Even if it wasn't uh, a real emphatic coronation for either of them, I still think it was uh, a fun ride, even if it led us to nowhere uh, in the long run.
1: Oh, most definitely. I think that both of, you know, for Garbina and for Maria, their 2016s are set up very well. And I kept thinking back for at least Maria – uh, back to, what was it, 2007 year-end championships in Madrid, when she yeah. made the final, and she played. In long uh, sleeves. Just, yep. In long sleeves, and she played Justine Henin, and she lost a tough, tough, tough three-setter. And instead of that being a negative thing, she, yeah, it was a great match. It's one of the best matches at the year-end championships ever. Um, if, look it up if you need to. But, uh, but yeah, it, she went on to win the Australian Open in 2008. Um, in really dominating fashion and, and the way that she played the three matches that she won I was just incredibly impressed with I was very surprised I did not expect that level from her uh, having not played since Wimbledon so that was impressive then you have Muguruza who even when she was kind of running on fumes she still was able to get it done and and that was is what I found pretty impressive you know for her in group play just solid and I think that Red, I think that what Redvanska said about Muguruza was actually quite telling, because Redvanska was asked about her, and she said, "You know, what's difficult to play her is that yes, she's powerful, but she's consistent, which, as we know, most power players are not. And so, in order to play against Muguruza, Redvanska has to be actually more aggressive. She has yeah. to step into the court. She has to be uh, dictating because she can't bank on Muguruza missing." So that is, I think, a pretty pretty nifty compliment. I think it's it's a pretty accurate uh, description of, of Roots's game at its best and why, you know, there's a lot to like about where she's at. Now, that being said, we've seen breakout years before from youngsters. We've seen them not pan out the second time. So I've been yeah. a little hes- hesitant to kind of next big thing her but she's done everything she could possibly do in this year to be next big thing um yeah. and she's i think she's a pretty safe bet
0: i think she's the most re- this is going to sound obviously like recency bias or whatever but i think she is the, in some ways the most reliable of the next big things because this didn't this year didn't feel ahead of schedule for her it really didn't i mean like we knew she was in the pipeline for quite a while um and it was a steady progression really um, and I, I was saying that back, uh, yeah, even in Australia when she was playing Serena, I was like this, she seems like the next one and she's, she, I, not that she's gonna be the next to win a slam first, we never know. Uh, but she, I don't see her flaming out. I don't see how this goes wrong for her with her level of confidence, her level of stage presence and just and the mind, mentally, she just seems so, so right right now. And the physical game is already there too. So i like it also
1: what i think that i like it too i mean i think one thing that's interesting as well is that watching her play wuhan in beijing and then in singapore i really don't think that we even saw peak Mugrutha the last month that was just yeah. steady workman like put your hard hat on play point by point and just get it done um yeah. but i really didn't feel like she zoned to get those results final wuhan china open champions semi-finalists at the wta finals First player and only other player since Petra Kvitova in 2011 to go undefeated in group play at their finals debut. I mean, she was good and she wasn't even playing her best. And I think that that is really something that if I had to contrast her in 2015 to Bouchard in 2014, that's the big thing that I point to is that I felt like in 2014 I saw Bouchard's zone in order to get those results. And I don't think that that's the case with Muguruza this year.
0: That sounds all about right. Uh, any other Singapore takeaways before we move on in the world?
1: Yeah, it was a good trip. Um, it was very, very busy um, just because of obviously we were live blogging every day. And then I'd go home and edit a podcast until six or seven o'clock in the morning. So I was definitely exhausted. I got I, My flight from Singapore was at 8 a.m. And then I got to Zhuhai uh, around like three o'clock, I guess, in the afternoon yesterday, and then literally fell asleep unbeknownst, like didn't mean to, but fell asleep around six and then didn't wake up until eight this morning. Oh, good and for so you. I was tired.
0: <laughs> 14 hours. That's impressive. So I'm to
1: rehydrate. Yeah. I know, right? Like it was one of those like, nope, I got to go to sleep. So yeah, but it was, I thought it was a great week. It was a fun week and it was fun just kind of seeing one of the really nice things about last week, I have to say, is that you got to see all eight players at least happy for a little bit. <laughs> they all want a match. Like, even, yeah, they all want a match, and they all, at different points, played really good tennis. Like, even Hallep, who I think is, is probably the most disappointing of the week yeah. for me, um, results-wise, even she was, like, after she beat Panetta, like, love and two or whatever that was, like, she was really happy, and she was, like, excited, and she was the number one seed, and, um, you know, she was in a good spot in the early part. And then Muguruza and Sharapova were really good, you know, through the group play, and then Kavitova and then Radvanska uh, and Safarova getting a win. Panetta, you know, getting yeah. that win um, over 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 Simona. So it was, everybody had a good, nice moment. So it was kind of a very nice week. I didn't feel like anyone was like depressed when yeah. leaving Singapore.
0: <laughs> I should mention Halif actually, because her year ends there and she's number two. It's an odd year for her. Like, I for me, it's a tough year to assess for Simona uh, because she is number two. She did win quite a few titles. She won India Wells, which is a big title. She won Dubai, which is a big title. It was a Premier five this year. Um, she won Shenzhen, I think, and she said, and she went from number three at the end of last year, number two at the end of this year. So it seems like an improvement at the same time. I'll remember this more as a year of honestly disappointment for Simona uh, and, yeah. and, and she only got and she only got one top ten win since February, and that was against Panetta in group. It's just, that's just not yeah. becoming a number two at all for me.
1: Yeah. I think that that's, I think those are all fair critiques. I think it's difficult because, you know, obviously Halep number two, uh, she finished last year, number three. So technically right. she has risen in the rankings over a year um, and she had her moments, but I think it was definitely a transition year for her. I think that so much of it was a struggle to deal with defending. So hopefully she's learned her lessons um, in 2015 about how she handles that process of it because she did not handle it well over the summer at all. Um, but, uh, but Chris Everett actually had a very good point. I thought she was in Singapore um, as an official WTA finals ambassador um, and gave actually, I thought, a really interesting press conference. She was incredibly honest, scathing at times, I thought um but very very it's interesting yeah she doesn't, so call, she doesn't call back out. an
0: interview she's actually really i've had that experience with her too
1: yeah no she just she takes the swing do
0: you remember she Do you remember? no do me- problem doing it you remember when we were in the indian walls player lounge this year yes and she was asked a question about somebody and she like turned around and said like wait is she still behind me because this player had just walked behind her like 30 seconds ago Yep. And then she made sure she was a little bit out of earshot and then went off it was great
1: yeah it was great it was lovely she's a good she's a good get for an interview i have to say So, yeah, so in Singapore, she was asked about Halip's year, and she said.
2: Um, I I don't think she's had a great year, Simona. Um, I think there have been, I think she had a great year last year, and she got to a certain point, a certain level, where she knew she'd have to make some subtle changes. And I think that's kind of, at times, she's progressed in the sense of, I've seen a bigger serve, and you know I've seen more aggressiveness from her. But it's also rattled her uh, um, base game a little bit more. She's making a few more errors, and she's getting a little more emotional on the court. So, you know, good news, bad news. Um, it's It's been a year of making those subtle changes, and it's it's hurt her in certain ways. But maybe that's what she needs to take two steps back before she takes three steps forward. I think she's got the right idea. I think she's got the right team around her. But, um, it ta- you know, it takes time to... I mean she's she got to a point where she's number 2 and it's like okay now what am I going to do to become number 1? I'm going to have to make some changes. And she's made that effort. So that's that's good. Maybe hopefully next year she you know she'll settle down a little bit and and you'll see the game begin to resonate a little bit more.
0: Now you always got to be wary a little bit of changing your game when you have a sure. a pretty strong formula to start with. So we see what obviously what happened with Ivanovich yeah, or Yankovic, it, she both tweaked their game kind of when they were at their best. Yeah, so we see Yeah,
1: but then you see what happened with Linaov when she tweaked her game. What happened with Sharapova, no, sure. right? So I think that I don't know. Even Serena now. Exactly. Yeah. My my opinion generally speaking is that when a player starts actually addressing the weaknesses of their games, that to me is an absolute check in the positive. I don't know if it's going to pay off, but at least it shows ambition and it shows courage and it shows drive to want to be a better tennis player. And so I always really respect that, and hopefully it works. If it doesn't, then whoops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the other big story in tennis on the men's side was that Roger Federer got a long-awaited win over Rafael Nadal, first time in over three and a half years. Uh, he beat him in the final of Basel to improve improve his record to eleven and twenty-three, which is an improvement. Um, and I think more notably for me that he and I hadn't really done the break, looked at the breakdown recently, but he improves to five and one indoors, which is a huge, huge disparity considering how massively against him the tide is in that direction, in the overall direction. corner. do you think the five and one for Federer is meaningful? He's also two and one on grass, so I think it really does show how important the surface is yeah, in this rivalry. I think it's meaningful. Do you think that's overlooked or no?
1: It's meaningful. I just think that it's also obvious. Like on a faster surface, Roger Federer is going to be more comfortable. He's going to be able to exploit, uh, you know, his strengths. His strengths will just, you know, pick up a little bit extra, uh, a little bit extra. So I don't think that it's necessarily like a revelation, um, but it definitely is important insofar as it underlines the fact that Roger Federer is playing good tennis these days. Um, he's still able to get that win on Rafa on a fast court, uh, indoors. And so, in that way, it's kind of like um, emphasizing that Roger's good. You know what I mean? Like that he hasn't like <laughs> that he hasn't like taken four steps back or something like that. And then all these other, you know, uh it basically just uh, it confirms what we are what we have seen. You know, if that makes I get, sense. I get what you're
0: saying there, and I. I think to maybe to to, to paraphrase or rephrasing what you're saying it was like Roger kind of needed a win in some ways after these Novak losses this summer I think you could say like this not that he needed because not that he's anything to prove or that he's really fallen that far but with the tough losses in the Grand Slam finals three uh he's lost in the finals of three of the last six Grand Slams now all to Novak to get a win over a chief rival who's had his better even if it's been a down year for Rafa, although is looking steadier and steadier. He's looking like a legitimately top five player again right now, which you couldn't say for most of this year. For Roger, it, it's just, it's nice to get that, that one. You, know, you could tell it meant a lot to him. Winning in Switzerland over Nadal, winning in Basel period, getting a win over uh, his arch rival in Switzerland for the first time, first time they'd met there. Uh, all these things, uh, it was definitely a big one for him. One that I think he can look back on his fall and have less pressure if he wants it for Bercy and for for London. I think this was a good note to end the year on if he wants to make it that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think also one thing that's good is that, you know, we talk about all the time, objective truths and subjective truths, and it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks this win means It only matters what Roger thinks it means. And knowing Roger as well as I know him, which is not at all. um, (laughs) (laughs) But my sense is that he, you know, he's Mr. Optimist. He's Mr. Blow all the positives kind of completely out of proportion and completely uh, mitigate and ignore the negatives kind of guy. That's his general worldview, I think.
0: Definitely an optimist. I think that's totally, totally right.
1: Yeah. And so with respect to this win over Rafa, I think that for him, it's like yeah, that's right, I beat Rafa. Like, you know, like, internally in his head, he's like, that's how good I'm playing, regardless of surface, regardless of Rafa's current form, regardless of any of that. I think that for Roger, I think that he takes, he puts a lot of stock in something like this. And so that could be, you know, that could bode very well uh, over the next, obviously, month, but even going into 2016. So, I mean, you yeah. know, it, it's not surprising, I don't think, that he won. I just, but if it means a lot to him, then it is a very significant result. On paper,
0: yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and I, I think all of that is true. Yeah, I, I, I think that I do think it does show um, how fragmented the rivalry is. I don't think I think saying it's one way traffic and just Nadal always got the better of him is obviously true in the raw numbers, but it does, and I do think it's important to say that Nadal is I want to say eight and two on outdoor hard courts, which you would think could be the most neutral surface for the two of them. It's clearly in Nadal's favor. Um, but Federer does have his moments, and I think the sort of uh, bent bent overness of how the rivalry is often described is a little bit oversimplified, probably. But maybe that's just being contrarian, because twenty three eleven is still pretty <laughs> pretty decisive.
1: It's a really big gap.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, between yeah. two
1: big players. But you know, and there have been obviously, I mean, we- It's it's really it's no
0: Serena Sharapova, I guess is what I'm saying. It's
1: no Serena Sharapova, and I think that it is a little unfair to to play it completely like, oh, it's always surface when Rafa's had the success at Wimbledon that he's had against Roger. So there is part once, yeah. Well, yeah, once, once, but also just you know Rafa's success on grass. I mean, he's good on. I mean, they've only had that one big one, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's not entirely cut by surface speed. Although it is partially No, it's not
0: and 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 Fetter is also Fedder is also beaten rough on clay twice. Right. So I mean
1: yeah. Huh.
0: Anyway, it's just not totally as totally black and white. So we're gonna wrap it up there for this week's show. We'll be back to you more next week with some stuff, hopefully, from Courtney in Juhai. When we find out what Juhai is all about once they start playing tennis there. And I am here in Charlottesville, Virginia at the Challenger, so we'll try to give you some sort of peek inside the Challenger world, which hopefully will be enlightening or something. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you guys for listening to this week's show. And if you want to follow along with us when you're not listening and find out when next week's show comes out, to get alerted to new episodes, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. You can also like us on Facebook. New episodes go up there pretty quickly. Facebook.com slash NCR podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and your various RSS readers and podcast apps and all that fun stuff. Uh, no challenge remaining, search for there and you can when you're on itunes and all this thing leave us reviews and we like that uh you can also send us emails if you have questions for an upcoming show we've been getting a, quite a few of those lately which is awesome we'd love to get more uh, they will keep us warm through the cold winter months as we burn through them and yeah courtney any any rants and raves as you finish up your six weeks in asia I'm sure you have feelings.
1: I do have feelings. None of them are really Asia related, although this has been a really fun six weeks. Um, but one of my favorite people that everybody knows is one of my favorite people. Carrie Brownstein has a new memoir out. It's called Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. And I haven't had time. I knew this was coming. I know. I haven't had time to sit down and read it. And obviously I've been overseas. So um, but I did because I had a bunch of audible credits um, stored away that I did download the audiobook and she actually reads it. So I have, quote unquote, read the book insofar as I've listened to the whole thing. It's really, really great. Um, there are a couple of moments that just absolutely tore me up and uh, brought me to tears. But I think that my pitch for reading the book is that nowadays, obviously, with like social media and the Internet, like I feel like the world has become a little bit more cosmopolitan, especially with respect to anybody who's listening to this podcast. You're probably also on Twitter and you use Facebook and you know, so it's very easy to know about what's going on in niche um, areas, niche cultures. Um, there's a lot that's like n- nothing is really completely foreign anymore, I guess, nowadays, because everything just gets communicated. Yeah,
0: nothing's inaccessible. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so listening to, to Carrie's book, it's very evident to me, and at least I think, That anybody who reads it that wasn't part of that specific scene, which is the West Coast slash Pacific Northwest, um, scene as a teenager in the nineties will find it either fascinating or really boring. It's really up to, because it'll either sound so (laughs) boring because you have no way of connecting to it, or you'll be fascinating because it'll sound so different than the way the world works nowadays, um... And so that was really great. It, the bulk of it is about Slater Kinney. It's not really about Portlandia. So if you're a Portlandia fan, don't, like, you're not going to read about how she and Ter- Fred Armisen started Portlandia or whatever. Um, so, but it's, it's great. I highly recommend it. Loved it. Yeah.
0: So Portlandia doesn't get
1: any mention, really? No. Which is understandable, oh, okay. actually, from Carrie. I can understand that from Carrie's perspective because it's not done. Like, you don't, write a memoir about something that's not done which isn't to say that slater Kinney is done but it's far more closer to being done than portlandia and also that slater Kinney shaped her in a way that portlandia hasn't she is who she is because of that band um whereas like portlandia is like almost post like a completely different carrie brownstein
0: and i'm sure she's such a obviously thoughtful person i would out this is her last such book.
1: I should hope not. I should hope not. But yeah, it's uh, her vocabulary is hilarious as always. There are certain times where you're like, girl, you just had to use that big word, didn't you? Couldn't just say it simple, <laughs> but it's great.
0: Definitely. Awesome. All right. Mine is similar ish a little bit to your audiobook consumption. Uh, I just started using the app Speaky. I don't know if you know Speaky. S P E A K Y. What it is, is basically an app that reads articles and stories and whatever other text out loud.
1: Oh, that's genius. Like pretty
0: decently. And so you can like sync it up with your Pocket app and it'll take, which for those of you who don't know, is like something you, you can click a link and save it to read later, essentially put it in your Pocket.
1: It's a must and use app.
0: Yes. Yeah, Pocket is, is, endorsement for that. First of all, if you don't yeah. you guys don't use that Pocket, it's
1: indispensable.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, And it's totally indispensable for someone like me who always has some obscene double-digit number of tabs open. Pocket is a lifesaver and a a RAM saver. Speaky goes in and it reads all of them and it gives you like an estimated time for it. So like it'll it'll show a little time or probably an exact time, I guess, not estimated for how long it's going to take to play the audio of that article. So it'll go, you can go in and scroll through your pocket and see, oh, I'll, I'll listen to one that takes eight minutes or I have time for a 43-minute pocket today or something. And it's just, and there are different accents you can pick. It's still a robotic voice, and so the pacing isn't always perfect. Um, so it can occasionally trip you up and you have to go back and be like, wait, what? Because sometimes they speed through like paragraph breaks that are, really should be a pause. I mean, it's not perfect. But as a way to like get through what had been for me an overflowing backlog of stuff to read, it's a nice sort of accent, uh, nice sort of uh, addition, and I highly recommend the Irish accent for it because it's just fun and I find it easier to understand for some reason than the other options. so speaky it costs like four dollars, but for me it's been worth it pretty quickly. Cool. It's good for like road trips and stuff. I'm all for it.
1: Can I add just one very quick uh, quick rant? uh-huh Rest in peace, Grantland. I'm sad.
0: Oh yeah. It is sad. We should, yeah, we were thinking, (laughs) we did joke on Twitter about doing an emergency episode of just reading Grantland stories, which we could still do.
1: We still could do it. But it's...
0: That was definitely, that was a bummer.
1: That's That's a super massive bummer.
0: At the same time, though, like, I've realized this is, like, corny and not much consolation, I hope, to anybody there. But for me, it's still, like, when you go to a funeral and you celebrate the life of when people say that, they really try to force that message. Like, I am still kind of amazed that Grantland existed. Because it had to be, I mean, this is the nicest way possible, it had to be such a loss leader for ESPN.
1: Financially, there's a reason why Grantland was so unique in what it did. And it's because that as a business model, it fails in the current business climate. And there's a reason why people can't spend 10,000 words writing about some random, you know, basketball player or something like that. It's because generally speaking, newspapers and websites will not pay you to do that. And so Grantland to the extent that it existed, to the extent that it employed such incredible writers and it gave them the freedom to pursue those sorts of stories was just an absolute miracle, no doubt about it. And it's just so sad that ESPN has to be a dick and stop doing it.
0: Yeah. Oh, I will say ESPN is cutting all sorts of people. It's yes, it's not just Grantland. They I mean, are slashing left and right. Yes. So it's a rough time over there for sure. But yeah, no, and and the cool thing about that freedom is hopefully um, these writers who you've loved given huge freedom theoretically now if they do choose to leave Greenland and maybe do their own things for now I mean they're giving these people even more freedom and time if they choose to use it this way there could be some like pretty incredible stuff from these people in the next couple of years like in terms of books or longer form stuff or whatever, whatever they want to do it's kind of kind of cool to put these uh, people out in the water and let them create their own water ballets or something
1: I kind of think that they would probably prefer to just have a nice steady constant job at (laughs) I completely
0: I'm I'm trying to find a silver lining I totally totally I think sometimes shitty situations are just (laughs) shitty I think
1: sometimes shitty situations are just shitty situations and maybe we just leave it at that
0: that's probably right I will concede that point and leave you guys for now with hopefully your lives that are not shitty we'll see you next time bye guys
1: bye bye
2: i told you goodbye you mocked me it shocked me when you walked me to the bus thanks that was fun don't forget no regrets except maybe I've Everybody knows the deal fell through. I was hoping I could just blame.